Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. Today, we will be talking with my dear friend, Derek Coleman Jr., Super Bowl champion and the first legally deaf offensive player in the NFL. He has created the Derek L. Coleman Jr. No Excuse Foundation, a nonprofit organization that aims to empower, unite, and advocate for people of all ages who are deaf or hard of hearing. He and I actually met on a mission. We were on a mission in India, and I we had so much fun on that mission with the Starkey Hearing Foundation. And um, I just love this guy. I'm super excited to introduce him to my listeners. So Derek, welcome to the show. Hey, uh, appreciate you guys having me. Really great to be here. Um, and uh, as Natalie was talking about, we met on an amazing trip in India. Um, and it was one of those where I saw her, she saw me, we were working and we just kind of collaborated together. Uh, me seeing somebody helping, uh, uh, other fellow hard of hearing people, um, and taking passion in it is something that, uh, I wanted to have in my corner. So appreciate you having me. Yeah. Awesome. So I want you to, um, just start, you have, you have a, pretty incredible story and your journey. And I'd love for you to just introduce to my listeners, start with, you know, how did you first lose your hearing? Let's start there. So I lost my hearing when I was three years old. I was actually born hearing, passed all of the tests. And then around the three, um, middle three years old, my dad actually took me to a barbershop. Um, and Rob is my barber's name. And he was trying to talk to me uh, from behind, you know, cutting my hair. You got the clippers buzzing. And I wasn't responding. Uh, and it kind of happened multiple times. So, um, and as the parent, you never really will catch, catch on to that sometimes because every time you're talking to your child, you're making them face you or you're facing them. Um, so he mentioned one time, hey, you ever got his hand checked? And... So they went that whole avenue, and uh, they turned out that my either left or right was actually on the way down. Within a year later, my other one, um, I had bilateral um, profound hearing loss, and um, ever since three, four years old, I've been wearing hearing aids um, in both ears at all times. Wow. And for people who are not familiar with hearing loss and audiology, I know, Derek, you are... Um, getting very active on social media. And I think you posted a picture of your audiogram or your hearing evaluation. And it was, I mean, he's talking profound hearing loss. So people without hearing aids, if a plane were flying overhead, Derek wouldn't be able to hear it. There's absolutely no way because his thresholds were like close to 90 plus, you know, where he's not able to hear anything louder than that with no hearing aids. So for him to be on a podcast and for him to have, you know, really good speech where, you know, even I can understand him, all you listeners are able to understand him. This is a big deal. So, you know, again, talk to me, you know, going through life then with hearing loss at such a young age, wearing hearing aids, what was it like? How, how was it, 
working on getting that speech so nice and clear and, you know, talk to me through some of your um, schooling as well. Oh, that's uh, a story that I'm happy to tell. So uh, growing up, you know, after I got diagnosed from hearing law, got hearing aids, and it actually wasn't as bad as it is now. That she started being profound, progressive. And um, so I was actually a mute almost for about a, a year, year and a half um, to my uh, memory. And mainly I didn't really talk to anybody else outside of my family um, because I just didn't think you understood me or whatever. Um, confident issues I might have had. And I got over that um, at an early age, really, too, because of my parents, oh, they took me everywhere with them. Uh, the grocery store was, my dad dropped me off at my grandma's house to the, uh, a hairstylist. And so I'm constantly meeting adults and being forced to say hi. I couldn't be shy. My mom is, is installing a lot of um, confidence, a lot of quotes, um, and both of them, both of my parents are, um, going through school was always a struggle, uh, because one, I was always different. I knew that from the start. Um, growing up, I have, uh, older brother and older sister. And they're, I'm the, since me being the only hard of hearing or deaf person in my entire family, no history of it. It's nobody, it's new to everybody. So, um, even my, even my brother and sister, they will tell you now, they didn't really know what it was. They couldn't really tell you the right way to, uh, raise a heart affairing kid or anything. Um, so that being said, going to school, I was always different. Um, elementary school, my sister was two years older than me. Um, sometimes it was, whether me being in the class and me not being proactive to start out, letting the teacher know, okay, I, I didn't hear that, can you repeat it or whatever, because I didn't want to get picked on. I didn't want people really to think I'm dumb or whatnot, because uh, they already know that I can't hear. It's already obvious. Um, and, you know, in, in elementary school, kids don't know. They they don't. I used to get, what's that thing in your ear? And I used to have to tell them. Um, but before I told them, I used to, um, I didn't know how to explain it to them. I had to go and tell my mom. They keep asking. I don't know what to say. So that whole process, all of that struggle, um, it, it, it multiple stories of my sister's friend beating me up, pulling my hearing aids out, throwing them away, throwing them in the park, and then me running home, crossing a couple major busy streets, not being able to hear. And then all of a sudden, my mom is actually mad at me and my sister, but she's mad at me because I'm now, I can't hear. I don't know how to operate without sound. Um, so, um, and one of the reasons why I'm able to talk really well is I actually had to do speech therapy um, all the way from all grade school all the way up until eighth grade. Uh, speech therapy is just um, me learning how to speak, but also me training my brain how to receive the sound that I'm hearing. 
there's a lot of uh, uh, letters in the alphabet that are silent, F, H, T, and if I don't, if you don't hear it, you're not expecting to say it. So uh, we had to train my brain. Uh, there'll be time for my brother beating up on me, and I'm trying to yell, "Stop, stop, stop!" But I didn't know, I didn't know how to properly pronounce S, so I was yelling, "Top, top, top!" So he kept beating up on me. He's like, "Yeah, I stay on top, no problem." So you know, I was just having fun. It, it, it sounds bad now, but it, it was all just brotherly love, nothing crazy. Um, but just simple things like that. Like I say, oh, I got to go to school. And I say it good now, but before I said, yeah, I got to go to school. I'm like, they're like wait, what? Um, so it, it, it was a struggle, the process, but it was one that I wanted to do, the one that I was committed to do. Um, I'm very grateful that both of my parents kept pushing me. Um, when you get diagnosed, when most kids get diagnosed at an early age of autism, uh, uh, hearing loss, or whatever, the parents start figuring out, okay, how can we um, make it easy for them? And my mom, being a nurse, my mom, uh, you know, she was more uh, on the side of how do we do we send him to a special school, learn sign language and everything, or do we try to see if he can do mainstream? Uh, and with the special help, the special assistance, whatever I need, because the world is going to keep spinning. It's not going to, people are going to want to help, but it's not going to stop for everything. She wanted me to be able to, um, what's the word I'm looking for, operate in the world without the help of others. Uh, be able to be successful, and she did that, <laughs> um, and, and I'm very grateful for it. So um, that kind of what I'm, I'm out here for. That kind of what I believe my job is now to let these kids know, like, hey, I've been through everything you've been through. Because as I said earlier, I, I grew up with an older brother and older sister, and sometimes I felt like I was the only child. So I want them to understand that what they're going through is not something new. It's not something that you've never been before. But I also want them to come in reality of what's happening. Just, you know, you don't like your nose, you're going to get a nose job. You don't like uh, your ears or whatnot. Um, you know, earlobes, you can do what you want. But your hearing, like, there's nothing really you can do about it. But the one thing you can do about it that helps you is wearing your hearing aids. So, and a lot of kids, they don't want to. They don't want people seeing that, think, oh, they must be dumb. They must be that, that one kid. And nobody wants to be that one person. Mm -hmm. So I'm here to let everybody know that no matter what, I've been where you are. You should go after your dream. Don't be shy. Be proactive. Um, and just be you. Mm -hmm. That's my slogan. Just be you. Be the best version you can be. You can't be... Barack Obama, because he being him is not possible. You can't compare yourself to him because you'll never amount to him. You can't compare yourself to me because you'll never amount to him. You can't even compare yourself to your own family member because you could never amount to him. You have to be the best version of yourself. And me being the best version of me, me not worrying about, okay, that person can hear and he can do that. No, I, I took my strengths and I ran with it. I made 
I didn't let my weakness, which is my hand, and I made peace with that. I didn't let it stop me. And if I wanted to do something, I found a way. Um, and that is, I feel like it's a very strong, powerful message. That when you really, really want something, you'll find a way, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. And that's awesome. So, you know, talking through um, your younger school age, what Derek's talking about, too, for people who aren't familiar, is he was actually mainstreamed then, which means he, even though he had this hearing loss, he was put in a regular school with everybody else who, who didn't have a hearing loss as well. You know, when he and I volunteered in India, I do remember, you know, schools and schools of kids just coming, and they were coming from a deaf school. And it was so interesting to me because I remember this fact and I remember talking to Tanny Austin, how appalled I was because these buses of kids would come in and they were shipped off to these schools to live because they thought that they had a hearing loss. Now we do a little quick test to make sure that they have a hearing loss first. We fit them with hearing aids, but there were times that I found kids that didn't have a hearing loss, but they were sent away to this to this quote deaf school where they didn't talk to them and all they did was actually um, sign uh, so they became mute you know they became where they didn't talk um, but here in the u.s growing up you know derek was put in a regular school and with that became some opportunities for him to excel and succeed but at the same time you know, you're so inspirational. Like you just, everything that comes out, what you're pulling out is just so inspirational. If you can capture anybody with what you have to say, that's totally, you know, something that you would do, but it couldn't have been easy either. You know, it, it, you know, you went through your regular mainstream school, right? High school, college you were a college level player an athlete and then professionally so you know along the way i know there's a lot of uh in between but my whole question to you is you know how about share some of the things that made you who you are you know so i know that you're so inspirational now but um there had to have some things that happened to you besides, you know, your, your friends, your sister's friends who beat up on you and stole your hearing aids, you know, just on a daily basis that maybe some people didn't even know you went through, um, to, to be where you are with, you know, we're going to get to your nonprofit organization, but at the same time, the reason why you built that and what you're doing right now to help everybody else is because of what happened to you. So, you know, throughout your schooling, whether it's high school, college, you know, even professionally too, um, what were some of the obstacles or the struggles that you had to deal with? Um, a million different things. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, I didn't let none of them really stop me. Um, it's one of the biggest slogans that I've ever really heard, um, actually learned it um, in college, was somebody said, I'll never let anything without a heartbeat beat me. And basically what it's saying is I love it the weather defeat me. I love it. Never uh, let simple thing beat me and defeat me, get me down to the point where I don't want to move forward. And that uh, is that kind of summed up everything because at an early age from um, elementary school, I actually lived, I was born in LA, uh, Los Angeles, and I actually 
moved around maybe three, four different times before the middle of fifth grade. Uh, in the middle of fifth grade, uh, my mom and dad actually got back together, and they were we moved to Fullerton, California, uh, in Orange County, which is right next to Disneyland. Um, and that was like the first place where I can actually say, okay, I, I felt like I belonged. Did I feel like I belonged right away? No. Uh, went to junior, uh, elementary school, you know, they're welcoming, but they're not that welcoming. Uh, teachers are always trying to help. Um, that's when I met my uh, audiologist, Nancy Aldovich, and um, she helped me, uh, guided me multiple ways, um, make sure I had my FM system, make sure the teachers know. But it got to the point where, they were helping me, but what my mom and my dad did was they said, nah, 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 we're going to treat you the same way we treat your brother and sister. We're not going to treat you any different. Yeah, well, you need some help, but meaning we're not going to do that. If you, you need to go up to the teacher. You need to let them know that you need to have hearing loss and that you need to sit in front of the classroom or um, you ever raised your hand, you're not trying to interrupt. You're actually trying to get this to repeat or come up with a hand signal so that when she sees it, she knows. Um, whatever it is, be prepared. Um, and one of the big things that got me going through life, and I think me and my dad are the same way, is quotes. I mean, my dad made so many quotes and said so many quotes to me. Even when I did something wrong, said something bad. He didn't need to give me a lecture. He will say something and make you think about it because he knows that I'm a thinker. He knows that I'm a people watcher. I like to watch. I mean, my hearing is not up to par, but my eyes are. So uh, he also trained me when I'm driving in the back seat. Um, driving in the back seat, he'd be saying, uh, so what city are we in? Man, I'm this, I'm a... I'm in third grade or third, fourth grade or something. Like, uh, I don't know. But he was trying to teach me to keep my head on the swivel, be prepared for everything because when I start driving, I'm not going to be able to hear the police sirens. I'm not going to be able to hear the ambulance. Somebody's honking, whatever. So I need to be able to aware of my surroundings at all times. All of that, all those lessons. And one of the biggest ones is he said it, don't get ready. Be ready. I used to think he was talking to my sister at the time, you know, her being late and putting the makeup. And I realized that he was talking about me on life. He was talking about making me be proactive. Um, and if, like, for example, I, I had to make peace. I had to make uh, with peace with the fact that I know that my hair is not coming back. I know that. So, if I prepare myself, um, if I prepare myself, let put safeguards in place so that if it my hearing aid goes out or I really cannot hear the people around me, the situation that I'm in, I can still either move forward or get help. And that to me was a huge um because even that from schoolwork, uh, stop helping me um, procrastinate. Everybody in the world is procrastinated. It's just the way it is. But 
having that statement, seeing that, putting it on my phone, taking pictures on the wall. I used to wear a shirt under my football jersey all through college. One of my best friends named Derek McConnell, he used to always give me uh, random shirt. They used to white shirt. They pressed something and said, be great. Uh, or um, do you. Just simple statement, because when I put it on, yeah, I put it on, but it's a reminder. Uh, you know, and but growing up, I think my biggest struggle, as I said earlier, and everything I'm saying now, because I went through it. I went through things. I went through trying to compare myself to other people. Oh, man, that guy does that better. Or he's, uh, he's popular. He's talking to all them kids. I'm trying to see if I can do what he do. But I don't I can't do what he do because there's something like, you know, and, and my God made him that way. You know, God made me my way. So I need to figure out how to be the best version of me. And that's gonna take time. Some people think, oh okay, how do you do that? Well, the first step, as everybody knows, you have to be better today than you was yesterday. In every aspect. And then tomorrow, you gotta be better tomorrow than you was today. Just start there and you will be awesome in life. You will start improving 1% a day, 1% a week. And do that over a course of your lifetime. It's going to be phenomenal. You'll you'll love uh, what you turn out to be. And and it's hard. It's hard. I'm still working on it. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how I can be the best version of myself, meaning how I can help others, how I can uh, uh, provide for a future family. Whatever the case is, I'm not trying to settle. I'm not, ah, yeah, um, it, I, I feel good. I feel comfortable. But then after a while, I'm like, okay, what's next? How, what, what do I, I'm, I'm always striving to be better. I'm always striving to, be the best that I can be, be the best that there is, you know, be the best Derek Coleman Jr. Um, that when people say my name, they know, oh, man, he's always trying to get better. He's always just um, doing him. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about sports now. You know, when did you start playing sports? And um, was it always football or were, were you involved in some other sports as well? Uh, first thing first, I'm a sports junkie. I've been playing sports since I was in the room. I don't know, I for whatever, jump roping uh, with the umbilical cord. But, um, you know, I actually started, I believe, I think the first sport I did, maybe been fly football. Uh, but as, as a kid, my mom and dad, you know, they try to put everybody, uh, all of us into everything. And, uh, you know, I played football, uh, fly football for one year, and apparently I was good. You know, my mom was always running up and down the sideline. Uh, and, no, I also played uh, t-ball. Um, that didn't really go as planned. You know, I was always uh, very hyperactive, just, okay, that's very calm for it. Um, they always throw you the ball, and then if you don't really hit it, they put it on the tee. Well, I used to wait till they put it on the tee so I could smack it out the park. Uh, did I smack it out the park? Probably not. Um, but I was—I don't want to hit a moving target. So, and there'll be times where I'll be playing left or right field, and the ball get hit away from me, and I'm running, stealing the ball from my teammate and throwing it back in because I'm like, I haven't touched the ball yet or whatever it is. 
So that didn't really work out. Um, family's not really a big soccer fan. Played bad basketball. But the problem for me is I've always, like I said, I'm very hyperactive. I've always been like a tall, bigger guy. Not strong until later. So I was always very aggressive. <laughs> so basketball, which is my first love, even to this day, um, is always been my first my first love, and I've always just been too aggressive, way too aggressive, fouling out left and right. So, um, I, seventh grade, uh, my parents, after doing all research, all everything they can do to figure out if I can play football, because the number one thing they're worrying about is my hearing. Uh, is me getting hit. Will I lose the rest of the hearing that I have? Will it make it worse? All of these different things, going to get x-rays, MRI, um, using my mom's connection as I mentioned she was a nurse. So there was a million different things that they went through just to even get me to play. Did I want to play? Yes. My older sister was the pop on the cheerleader. Used to always go to the practice, see the football guy playing. My brother is four years older than me and played a little bit in uh, high school. So always going against seeing I've always wanted to be part of it, but I've never played. I played basketball. My dad tried to get me into tennis. Uh, all of these good things, but it's just apparently I was way too physical. Um, um, one of my old basketball coach. Uh, Steve Hanna, he said yeah, he'll never forget the first time um, he met me. And it was actually my eighth grade year. Uh, so after a year of football, I, I had a uh, football practice and I had to change in the car, went straight to basketball, tryouts. So, you know, everybody's on the team, they just want to know where to play. And because I was just so, like, you know, aggressive, talking guy, I went for a layup, and that thing went over the backboard. <laughs> so, uh, and it was just one of those where it's like, but my enthusiasm, my excitement, everything was there to the point where, long story short, I end up becoming Dennis Rodman. Don't pass me the ball, but I get you the ball back. Uh, so, um, yeah, just growing up, just, Seeing all of that, having the quotes, um, you know, having the quotes that deal in my life, don't get ready, be ready, be aware of my surroundings, all of that. All of those quotes actually were so powerful because they translated over to sports as well. Mm-hmm. You know, being aware of my surroundings, I'm a running back, I'm running with the football. All of these people are trying to tackle me and bring me down. Like, but I'm able to see that because I'm already trained at that. Um, there's times where I can't even walk into a building without knowing where the nearest exit is in case an emergency wow. happens or something. Because it's just a habit. It's just, I don't even have to really work at it. And I also want to know, it makes me feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the biggest, uh, another big quote is the uh, a fear basically is the double in the sword because. It, it lets you know, oh, yeah, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't touch that stove. It gets too hot. But also, if you let it cripple you, if you let it do that, you miss out on the unknown. And what cripples you is what you don't know, the unknown. You know, if I've never 
played golf before. So the first tee shot, national television, or if I'm doing a public speaking event, like you don't know what to expect. So you have to practice it. You have to do better. And that's what my dad was saying. Don't get ready. Be ready. It just correlates everywhere. Um, so, yeah, got to high school, um, junior high, and seventh and eighth grade. I was actually a tight end and defensive end. Uh, first two weeks of football my seventh grade year, I actually told him I wanted to be quarterback. Uh, I still have a little – I got a nice arm. I can throw. Uh, you know, I thought, okay, you know, quarterbacks, you see them on TV, start or something. But the number one problem was I didn't want to know what everybody else was doing. No, no. Nah, I already had to figure out what I'm going to do. So it just kind of, that's the whole point of the quarterback. So they put me over a tight end defensive band. Um, I was always the bigger guy, meaning you have to be 145 pounds to play. Um, but with my age, I was actually supposed to be a junior manager. Uh, but because I was so big, they had to put me in midget. So I'm dealing with guys that a year, two years, been playing for a long time. Um, I was probably the punching bag, the dummy. Like, But I, I learned in order to stay in shape, I had to run three miles uh, uphill, downhill, back uphill, downhill. And my mom, three times a day, with sweatsuit, the whole nine yards. My diet was salad, probably, you know, maybe add some hot sauce. This was going on for two years. If you cereal, when you see the serving and how much uh, calories they have, oh, one cup, this many calories. Oh, all I got was one cup. I go to school starving. Wow. But it was one of those where I was so dedicated. I'd do anything to do. It wasn't, oh, man, I got to do that. I wanted to. I knew that, okay, I can't play if I'm too heavy. I'm a, I got to lose weight. And a lot of it was water weight. Water weight. I'm just a growing boy. So, um, you know, all of that, two years, just, you know, of course, you know, I, I snuck in some hot Cheetos and stuff like that at school, all this and that. Uh, come back, step on a scale. My mom just looked at me like, what you been eating? <laughs> so, um, you know, got to high school and uh, when, when did they, most people even to the day think, oh yeah, this uh, summer camp, uh, football summer camp every year. Nope. I started, went to straight to basketball. Uh, me and another one of my best friends now, Robbie Beard, we um, actually played uh, NJB, National Junior Basketball, which is the league in uh, junior high and great school uh we all played grew up played for the last couple of years together so we went to the same high school we decided hey, you know what let's go uh let's do basketball like do it'll be you know maybe fun and get better um and which is crazy because we're one we're a couple of the two out of the four or five that end up going to play football in college <laughs> oh wow um, he went to oregon and i ended up going to east l.a but I remember the freshman football coach came to me and looked at me and said, what position you want to play? And I was thinking, okay, I was just a tight end. Maybe I'll play wide receiver now. I got big hands. I can catch. Let me play wide receiver. And uh, he was like, nope, we're going to be a fullback. Went home that day, looked online, and fullback blocked. And I'm like, no. And just me a bill, but a 
turns out the fullback in the offense that we run gets the ball majority of the time. Just my cousin, the way I'm built and everything, he is perfect for what this offense was. And I didn't go to my high school for um, sports, you know. Our, the best sport we had at the time was uh, girls basketball, which won a state, uh, state champ, California state championship. So um, I actually uh, went to, you know, the rival high school, Fullerton High School, where I was supposed to go to. Uh, my sister was actually over there, and I kind of just wanted to do something on my own anyway and just – I don't know. I, I was finally finding my place. So um went to Troy, and it actually had to take a open enrollment and a Troy Tech test because they actually, at the time, was ranked number 19 in the nation academically. Um, we had people traveling 45 minutes just to go to school. Wow. Um, and we were one of the big schools, you know, I think maybe 1,800, 2,000 kids. Um, Maybe more, I'm not sure. But it, it was just academic school. I just went in there, started playing football. All, long story short, four, no, all five of my best friends today uh, uh, were my linemen in high school. <laughs> wow. Uh, and uh, they all blocked for me. But it was just the first time, first, it was the first time where I didn't feel alone. I felt like I belonged. I felt a sense of belong in a sense of purpose which is kind of hard to do growing up that's the whole people some kids have a rebellion phase because they're trying to figure out what's my purpose and like why am i here like what am i supposed to do and me just instilling that force me the camaraderie the teammates like they don't care that i have parent loss they don't care about that they just want to have fun playing this sport they want to do the best they can all my life lessons that I learned, be the best version I can be. That's be better today than you were yesterday. That's sports. You always want to constantly get better because somebody else is. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, had a phenomenal uh, high school career. Um, when I look back at it, I say that, you know, during high school, you ask me, I just be like, yeah, it is whatever. But going, you know, I, I think my junior year I had maybe twenty four hundred yards with over forty touchdowns. Um, senior year, a little bit less, but up there, always had over a thousand yards from sophomore, junior, and senior year. Uh, coach Carroll, Coach Pete Carroll, who's the head coach for the Seattle Seahawks now, who was at uh, USC at the time. Um, Coach Kell and Carl Durrell, who's the head coach at UCLA, both showed up at my high school the same day in the spring, uh, spring uh, training um, after my junior year. It was a great season. But the same day, I was just didn't know they come in, nothing. And I saw them, and I just turned back around. I was like, do not mess up. Do not trip. Don't do nothing bad. I was talking to myself, so my teammates were looking at me. It was like, why are you talking to yourself? I'm trying to muster some courage. <laughs> you guys see who's over there? That's Reggie Bush, Matt Liner, Carson Palmer, coach. Uh, uh, and I was the biggest SC fan, biggest SC fan at the time. So they end up coming, I'm getting recruited, and everybody 
Everybody and their mama thought I was going to go to SC. Even my own mom thought I was going to pick SC. Went on a recruitment visit and everything, and it was just, everything felt right. I chose UCLA because I just felt, one, that I bonded well with the team. You know, I bonded well with a few guys that were there. Mainly they were seniors that I actually never got a chance to play with them. But it was, I knew that, okay, I, I can do it. I, I bonded well with the SC guys, but I felt, I almost felt like it was elementary school again where I was on a playground, everybody's out there trying to be cool and stuff, and I'm the weird one that, like, nobody wants to mess with. And I like being weird. I like being weird, you know. So um, I chose you to, like, uh, you know, the, the alumni network they have, how big, how how much they reach. I didn't know what I was going to get into trying to make the league or anything else. I was just excited that college is even an option. Uh, you know, I ended up being a first-generation college student, uh, first-generation college student graduate. My parents ended up going to school eventually later on in life, uh, you know, me in high school and everything. But right out of high school, the whole nine yards, full ride, uh, you know, that was – it was a blessing in the skies, you know, and – as a kid growing up, as all kids are going through now, kind of things come and go, and you don't even really know how it is until you're later. And, of course, now I am at that later phase where I'm like, wow, okay, that was special. That was really uh, powerful. Um, so got to uh, UCLA, and it was – Definitely nervous. Every kid's nervous ability. Um, I think my parents' biggest worry wasn't anything really was, okay, I did well in high school because I was you know, they installed all the confidence. They installed all the things, the tools that I needed to survive or to be successful in the world. And they know that I was using my mom called every week uh, and every other day she'd call and like, Hey, how class this and that. You talk to the teacher, uh, staying on top of me and, you know, just me being a kid like, I got it, mom, I got it. But that, uh, growing up in the kid, that's why I also have my foundation that we'll talk about and no excuses because it's there. I want the kids to know that. I've been through it. I've been through all the hard times. But I also, all of those times, all of those times right now, as a kid that you're hard, hard time, you need to learn from those. You need to cherish those because that's how I got to how I am. Um, and it's crazy how I look back and I see that, oh, wow, these kids, like, I can give them a guideline. I can give them, like, a, a smooth sailing um, that I didn't have. And, you know, going to college, that was already, you know, that's, like, big time. I'm finally, I'm by myself, living in the dorm, uh, fortunate enough to have a, a, a good family friend. We actually call each other cousins because our parents went to great school together. Um, you know, know a few people there, but, now I'm having to do everything again. I'm having to make new introductions, do everything again. And I'm thinking, oh, man, 
right when I finally got comfortable, you know, all my best friends and everything. And I got to do it again. And I thought I had everything right. You know, my mom had thought all the confidence, all those life lessons. But no, now I got to do it again and again and again. But I realized that the more repetitive you do it, what do they say? You do something 21 times, it becomes the habit. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Um, yeah, so college was a great uh, experience as a team and as uh, uh, the as an athlete and as a uh, student uh, because now you're I'm in class with 300 people. Uh, I'm in class, you know, I went from 25, 30 to 300 people. You know, the teacher can't be very engaged in the time period that he had. Um, and luckily there was a... Uh, UCLA uh, faculty was great, and they always, every time I went to the office hours or talked to them, none of them, not even close, um, said, oh, yeah, I won't help you or anything like that. No, they all were very helpful, did whatever they could to assist me, which is not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a fantasy teacher that didn't even believe in me. Um, you know, I, I was struggling Spanish uh, because I barely understand English. I'm learning second language, so uh, and I barely understand the way the sound woke in once English and the language I'm trying to speak. So, uh, yeah. So it, you know, I even told my mom, I was like, I don't think he's gonna pass. Like, you guys can get tutoring, but it's just not gonna happen. And just seeing that, using the motivation. Uh, so when I say, like, the UCLA faculty was amazing because there wasn't even an ounce of that. They were like, oh, yeah, look, let me see what I can do for you. Uh, but, you know, that having that sense of, you know, them being uh, welcoming and even the coaching staff, that allowed me to finally be me, to finally be do, do what I was meant to do, you know, whatever it was. Um, and I learned that, of course, it's playing football. Uh, but it's also reaching out to the kids. It's also um, sharing with them my journey so that they know that, okay, the journey that they're going through has been done before. It has been done wrong and it has been done right. Um, you know, and it's their choice and everything that you do. So, uh, you know, even in UCLA, I had went to a couple different uh, uh local elementary school then talk to harder fearing kids and um even normal class, you know. Um because it's something that you don't see every day. You know, at, at the time, maybe now you do, you know, I open up a door, I didn't even know I opened up. But you didn't really see I've never really met another or played against another hard of hearing deaf person. You know, and I played football since what, seventh grade. I'm twenty nine now. Um, so it, to see all of the kids and to see them struggle or go through things that I, I've done, that's something that I don't want to see. That's something that I'm passionate about eliminating. I'm passionate about, uh, showing them that, Hey, like, I did it. I'm just a normal guy, you know, went through a child, uh, you know, family didn't come from money, you know, lived in the car for a uh, couple of weeks and stuff like that. So 
it's you know not trying to be no blind side story <laughs> it's just trying to let them know like hey i'm 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 just here for you i'm just letting you know like I, you can't be shy and and try to install the tools and confidence that they need uh and that what I mean by need, not want, need. Like, you know, every hard of hearing person cannot be shot. And you know, they need to figure out how not to be. Because if you can, you won't be successful. You need to be proactive. If somebody's talking too fast or whatnot, you need to be able to say, hey, can you can you repeat that, slow down in a way that they're not going to get pissed off? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm hard of hearing deaf and I still hate repeating my stuff sometimes. So yeah. it's... Uh, First, allow me to reach the world, uh, and it started in college. You know, I didn't. Uh, my audiologist made me go back. To, oh, not made me. Invited me to go back to local uh, high school, Catella High School in Anaheim, mm-hmm. uh, and talk to a group of hard of hearing kids uh, that are just kind of going through time, hard time, tough times. And I just made a little speech, but it wasn't just making the speech. It was the fact that I went back. Yeah, absolutely. So what's really interesting is I love to get to the bottom of where people have this heart and passion to give back. And from just listening to your story, even up to college, you know, there's something that's very special because I think that you had such supportive parents, number one, that weren't going to let you get away with anything and not, and they wanted to treat you exactly like everybody else. But because of that, and because of like your dad and his quotes and making you think, you know, it, it, it created something in you. And, and when you become like a college level player or for you, even a professional level player, there's so many routes that you can take. And a lot of people take the route of, it's all about me. Like I'm being successful. Right. But for you, you know, it sounds like, you know, giving back as early as, um, even college, going back and talking to that school, there's something in there that stemmed where you, you continued through even your professional playing years as well, where you always wanted to give back. Is there anything besides your parents and, um, besides having these opportunities to go and talk to these kids that may have made you want to give back? Um, I think me just growing up as a humble guy, as a, uh, a guy that doesn't seen a lot of bad, uh, went through a lot of bad, it, when, when you go through something like that, it, you, you either come out of one or two ways, you know, you, you come out striving, fighting, trying to be better and um, get better in everything you do. Or you, some people have that phrase, uh, not that phrase, hurt people, hurt people. You know, it, you know, and it's, I've been through something before. I want you to feel that same pain. Uh, there's, it's a really good question because then a lot of times in life, a, a, a basic human instinct is to kind of navigate to to negative thing. Uh, when people look at the stuff, yeah, you're looking at your stuff, you always find that one thing that they hate about themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't care if you're Bill Gates, millionaire, billionaire, or uh, newborn baby. Uh, it's something that people always like. So, I think me also, like I was saying earlier, being a people washer as well, 
I, I see that. I, I see people want to help. They just don't know how to. Mm-hmm. So when you don't know how to, you just continue doing the normal things you do. Then don't realize that you're not really helping. It's really not hard, but they don't want to do it wrong, get paid for, be fun of. Nobody wants to do that. Um, and it's, it, it's still a mystery in terms of why do people, some people do good and why some people don't, um, you know. And I, I believe it's the culture. I believe that is... Um, doing good is contagious. <laughs> uh, you know, as soon as I started, you see that person. You know, I got a buddy that sticks in my head. Um, Derek McConnell, actually. One, on one of his birthdays, he decided, you know what? He just uh, bought a, a lot of blankets on Amazon and went to the, uh, um, uh, and gave them out to the homeless and, you know, whether they needed it or not. On his birthday. You know, that's what he wanted to do. Like, did he have a great year? He actually had a, a it wasn't a very great year for him, you know. You know, he broke up a uh, relationship, you know, job. Like, it was a lot going on, but he still did that. So I think it had to do with a lot of upbringing, but it, it's also um, the type of people that you're around, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that is huge. That's what I, how I survived as well. How I got to high on because my mom was very careful about the type of people that I brought around, but she was also instructingly uh, guilty by association. You know, if you're with that person and he's spray tanning that, uh, spray painting that wall, like I'm assuming you're doing it with him. It's just if you're with a person that um, always trying to help uh, kids and stuff, I'm assuming you're doing it with them. But majority of the time, you are. You see your best friend helping somebody out doing that. You can next time you see it, you be like, "Oh, I saw him do that. It's not that bad," uh, you know. And it's we all have our own problems in life. Nobody's perfect in life, but everybody's always dealing with something. Especially is I think it's more out there now because of this. Uh, coronavirus thing. So now we're all fighting the same thing, but then most people started getting more busy and realizing, wow, it's a lot going on. But everybody always has something to do. You want to help other people, but you got to take care of yourself first. So that's where it, it kind of contradicts. You know, as you said earlier, some people are all about, oh, be like, all about themselves. But mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want. I don't like the attention on myself. First of all, uh, you know, I've been on social. I've been quiet on social media for a while, um, and uh, not a very active and out there. Mainly just um, kind of just living my life, just golfing and being still helping others and everything. But I didn't realize I'm not a very social media guy. You know. Uh, I'm sure you know way more tips and tricks on social media than how to get Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat, all that linked up and stuff like that. So, like me, I'm still, okay, I need to Google this. You know, it's, uh, I'm text savvy, but on social media, I try to stay off of it. But I realized that the type amount of people, and oh, I, I try to stay off of it because I always thought that. If people are sharing pictures and all this crazy stuff of themselves, and I'm like, 
Oftentimes I look at them and with a, a weird thing, like, man, they're all about themselves, like just trying to just show, them, show off and stuff. And I never wanted to do that ever. And it just feels weird in general. So to, uh, but then, uh, as you told me, actually, it, you're able to do that in a more humbling way. You're able to write uh, caption and you're able to uh, have fun with it is the way that you say it. And it's crazy after you said that, you know, I had a conversation with Chelsea about it. And that's just life. You know, you can, I've never been comfortable with wearing my own shirt because now it's like, man, he's wearing his own shirt. He's just bragging, letting everybody know he plays football. But it's like, everybody already know I play football. I mean, I'm a big guy to begin with. I, I walk in there with a, a, a demeanor, as some people like to say. And so to embrace it and use it in a good way, that's something, as you said, as I told earlier, I, I fear social media because I didn't know how to use it. I didn't know how to progress it. And uh, is, it my, is it my fault? 100% because I wasn't being proactive. I wasn't figuring out how to do it earlier on. Uh, but at the end of the day, I didn't want to get on something. I, I didn't want to be a hypocrite and say and be the best version I can be. And I get on there and I'm half uh, half doing things. I'm like, oh, sometimes this, sometimes people are trying to reach out and I'm not going back. You know, that's not being the best me. That's not helping these uh, people that uh, I'm, t- I'm telling them they're not alone. You know, even if it's just staying high, sending one thing back, mm-hmm. uh, that can change the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and that's, I mean, I was just laughing because it's so true. I totally see what you're saying with social media, and we've had this conversation before, how you can scroll through your feed, and it just feels like one thing bragging about the other. And if you're a humble person, it makes it really hard to feel like you can come out there authentically. But I think that, you know, as long as your heart is showing and the way that you you craft a post, you can do so much with social media to make a bigger impact. Um, and I think that's what you're seeing as well. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to kind of talk about your foundation as well, the Derek L. Coleman Jr. New Excuse foundation. So it's really fun because you had this going a while ago and I got to see a lot of the fun things that you were doing to give back to different communities. So, you know, getting out on social media with this No Excuse Foundation, I think is going to be really cool. And for the listeners, Tell us more about what you did with this foundation before, you know, and then I know we had a short hiatus and tell us what you're looking forward to bringing this back to light. Um, great question. Uh, the No Excuse Foundation is, uh, was made in 2014 after a powerful Duracell commercial that came out, um, um, kind of just driving the path of my life um, and me overcoming an adversity. And I actually made it for, uh, or agreed to do the commercial and stuff as long as it went after the heart of hearing and deaf culture, meaning that they are, it was inspiring them, whatever that may be. And they, you know, they made a whole um, program uh, at, um, and it was, it took off, gave me goosebumps. Uh, so it, it became great, big, and I started realizing 
Uh, we got to the Super Bowl that year, which was great. Um, and I realized even after that, it was something that people were making. It, it became worldwide because it wasn't just so much on part of it. It was just overcoming an obstacle, overcoming a barrier, overcoming adversity continuously, not just one time. So, and people... All everybody in the world knows somebody that's going through that can relate to some something like that. So I realized that okay, you know, me being in this football platform, me having the uh, people putting me on a pedestal and all that, like I need to do something that I've always wanted to do, get back, like you know, and I wanted to figure out how can I do that. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, me going back to local high school then college. Um, now I wanted and talking to the kids and making them feel I wanted to continue doing that. Um, and then it came up to the thing where how do we make what's the name for it, you know, all the different things. And um uh, growing up my dad used to always say, No whining, no complaining, no excuses. Now, no whining, no complaining, we always do that. It's just growing up, that's what we do. But no excuses, I always heard that. I've never really was able to use it, you know, um, it's the number one excuse that I can use is my hand. You know, I can get away with it a lot, but I didn't use it because it's not going to get me anywhere. Um, and so, um, and then I started looking at all the different things that I wanted to do, like um, advocate for bullying, you know. There's, there's no reason for that to be happening. There's no, uh, just, everybody is different in this world. You know, you have twins that don't even look the same. There's something slightly different even about twins. So, um, and also, like, all the hardest thing kids, I wanted them to feel like they belong. Feel Nobody wants to go through hard times alone, but nobody also wants to go through good times alone. You know, and the, the, then it came down. There's no excuses for that stuff happening. There's no excuses for a, a, a deaf person being alone, feeling alone, uh, when there's all these resources, all uh, other kids like him there. There's no excuses for not going after your dream. Things that I did, I didn't make it, so that's where the name ended up coming. There's no excuses for bullying. You know, that, that shit just shouldn't be done. Um, and bullying comes in all different forms. It's not just picking somebody upside down, shaking all the quarters out of them. It's, you know, whether it's social, with the social media, it's downgrading somebody, uh, because they're different. Uh, you know, like I said, we're all different. That's what made the world go round. Um, so as we started, uh, you know, our main mission was, you know, advocate for bullying, uh, provide avenues and uh, different routes for people that can't afford hearing aid, do fundraisers and raise money for uh, uh, the low income that can't afford it. And there were great programs that we were associated with. Uh, Starkey Hearing Foundation, they have this Here Now program where if you have a certain amount of people in your household and under a certain amount of uh, income, you qualify for uh, some refurbished hearing aids. Uh, I think it's like 250 bucks or uh, low price. And uh, for those that don't know what typical price of hearing aids go for, it's usually Fifteen hundred, three grand, yeah, uh, eleven grand, six or seven thousand dollars. Yeah, 
Uh, there's some out there that are about 11 grand. So if typical American family can't afford that, uh, even with insurance and all that, it's just another thing. So to be able to help out, um, no, I can't raise money and buy everybody here and there, but I can definitely help out provide, you know, if there's a story that you want to be told, let it be told. Um, and, you know, it, as time started going on, it's, uh, it, it became great. Started actually doing the winter Fort, Fort Lewis, the military base south of uh, Seattle and Washington. And, uh, you know, did a camp for military kids. Uh, you know, all, like, all the things they're going through, they kind of go through the same. You know, they're, they're only with one parent that um, having to deal with, okay, am I getting they're, they're going through just having them uh, be all out, having fun and doing what we're doing, like that's all I'm for. Um, and showing them that anything possible, uh, but also appreciating the military, appreciating everything they're doing. But just doing things like that, raising money for uh, so we can continue doing what we're doing. So um, as time went on, um, I think it was following year, um, I was focused on football, but I was also focused on the foundation, just trying to figure different things out. But it came to the point where I was messing things up um, in football, on the football side. Uh, fun story, one of my coaches, I actually made a, a, a error in a walkthrough. Um, Russell Wilson, quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, uh, set formation in the huddle, and I broke um, and, you know, went to, went to uh, my, where I thought my spot was, but apparently it wasn't. And now I'm, I'm a guy that takes pride. I don't like making mistakes twice. I don't like even making mistakes once. I do extra studying and all of that. Uh, it was a simple formation, and I lined up on the wrong side. My coach was like, nope, wrong side. You know, I love my coach because he was great, meaning he didn't call you out and everything, but he, when I got back to the thing, he looked at me and was like, hey, you're making another mistake. It might be your last mistake. So ever since that moment, I've uh, I've been, I, I kind of took a step back from the foundation side. I kind of was like, okay, I need to give everything, focus on everything I got. Um, they were drafting people in my position, and I didn't want them to take my position. They're always just trying to make the team better regardless. So. I felt like something had to sacrifice because right now, you know, my studying is sacrifice, simple things, I'm forgetting that. And uh, you would think, oh, you know, that's typical. Everybody forgets stuff. Well, in the National Football League, in the National Basketball Association, in uh, hockey, you, uh, you, you can't afford to make mistakes. You know, that's why they pay you. That's why they, they do the due diligence and... Uh, recruitment because they want the best of the best. They don't. They don't want any doubt that you're gonna go out there and do what they want or better. So um, I kind of took. You know, the great thing was my mom and my agent were uh, take took kind of 
took care of everything. You know, people were emailing foundation, sending my mom, and um, and anytime it was like a sensitive, like a kid wanted to uh, have time, you know, my mom oh, take a little video, send it to him, and you know, she basically kind of became the manager, <laughs> uh, and it was great. Uh, but I now that football's winding down, I'm I'm done. Last year, I played within the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Uh, back in 2018, and I'm kind of as I play golf a lot and meeting all these people, all these networking, uh, make hope, working on this transition. I realized that one, I have time still. I got to do with my foundation. Though. I can't be excused. I got to get back in there. But two, I realized that as you mentioned earlier, people wanted people wanted to help. I'm telling them my story. I'm telling um, you know the oh, yeah, you're a football player. Then all of a sudden they go home, Google me. Next time I see them, they're like, man, that commercial, man, that was crazy. Like, so, you know, it's telling stories, you know, get to know. And they're like, man, like, how can I help, man? Like, anything, how, what can I do? And I and it just keep going on and on and on. And I'm like, oh, yeah, let me get back. I'm going to get back. But I kept procrastinating that. And then I was like, all right, you know what? I this whole when this whole coronavirus thing, then I was like, yeah, I really have no excuse. I need to, and I actually talked to back in January. I went to UCLA Life School, uh, and I met with a kid named Diego Anderson. He was actually uh, introduced to me um, uh, the principal of the UCLA Life School that actually uh, knows my dad from growing up, same neighborhood. And she said that there was a, a kid, Diego, that was just a hard of hearing, lost it later on in life, just kind of having a hard time adjusting, having a hard time fitting that. And me just being a UCLA alumni, I was like, UCLA? Great. No question that. I have a question. What's the life school? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I went there and I... You know, people always kind of send me a brief little uh, introduction or what about the kid, but seven times out of ten, I don't read it because I want to get to know that person. I don't want to have a, I'm about to meet you. I want to meet you first and, you know, get to uh, sit down, like, see what you're interested, see what you're about. So I sit down, get there, sit down with Diego and the teacher, and, man, this is the brightest fifth grader I've ever met in my life was using sentences, clearly the his uh word etiquette and everything was just smooth. I, I'm I don't know if he rehearsed it or whatever. Quiet kinda uh laid back kid. Love soccer, you know, we chatted up for a bit. And then but as I'm talking to him I realized why am I even here? You know, like, uh, things that I do is you know hello and come like provide here and they make sure try to eliminate that barrier from the hearing, non, uh, hearing. and advocating bullying. I'm like, you're not getting bullied. Your, your classmates love you. They're actually trying to help you. Like, your teachers are better than any other teachers I have. I almost feel like they were professors here or something. And then as we kept talking, I realized that it wasn't none of that. It wasn't the thing that I endured. It was like I told you before, he just felt alone. He felt different. And that different, that feeling is, when people feel different, they don't know how to take it. Because like you just said, it's different. It's something new. 
So what uh, the principal wanted me there and the teacher wanted me there was to show them, like, okay, it's okay to be different. It's okay to take it and run with it. You know, like, yeah, you're hearing loss. Like, and so he, he remembered what it's like to hear. He remembers all of that. So um, I don't remember what it's like to hear. So he he's going through something that I've never really been through. But what he's going to go through, I've been through. So I want, I, this thing is just fine with him. Every now and then, he loved playing soccer in the little league. Every now and then, uh, we email each other, just, hey, how you doing? Like, how was your soccer game? You know, uh, same quote, just making sure he's doing good. Uh, making sure, uh, okay, then I realized coronavirus, it hits. All these kids are at home now. You know, they're now having to deal with Zoom conference. They're now having to deal with virtual. And some of these kids, like, at me, one of the biggest things, I never learned sign language, I read lists. As long as I can see your mouth, let's see uh, visual, I can, nine times out of ten, I'll make out what you're saying. So... And sometimes these kids need that actual in-person learning. That person, like, it's just uh, different. They might, they can't learn some of this, or they won't be able to learn in the home setting, whatever it is. So I wanted to make sure, like, the first thing I did as soon as it happened was start, you know, emailing Diego. And then I'm like, I need to make sure that all of these kids are right, because this is what I'm, this is the, Part where we all need to come together. We all need to uh, making sure that nobody's being left out. These kids are now used to be able to sit in the front row and everything, but now they're having to do it all at home. So I wanted to make sure they have a Roger Pan, that the FM system, all of the good things that are there for them, you know, they're going. But also make them uh, know that, hey, like, I may not be going through it the same thing you're going because you know you're younger than me but you got all these kids just keep keep doing the best keep preaching giving them inspirational quotes keep inspiring them to keep going at it don't let this hard time keep bringing you down you know so one of the I kind of ended on this one of the best quotes I kind of tell kids and a lot and a lot of my speaking engagements I mean this is I know somebody said it, quoted a long time ago, but my college coach, Rick Neuheisel, um, phenomenal guy. Uh, he went to uh, UCLA undergrad, USC Law. Uh, then he went to coaching. So he can make you believe that uh, a wall that's yellow is actually red, as long as you buy in. But he said something all inflation to me, and I, I can't get it out of my head, and I say it now every time. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. I'm going to say it again because it's strong. Tough times don't last. Coronavirus, uh, picking on you, going financial problems, whatever. Tough people do. The people that keep fighting, the people that keep going after it and realize, all right, I, I can get through this. There's, there's something on the other side, no matter what it is. You know, um, and me going through tough times my entire life, having to always do that, whether it's 
if it's something small or whether it's something big, I can understand that. That touched me right away. And he wasn't even talking to me. Well, he was talking to Oliver, but we had a, a, a Make-A-Wish cancer survivor um, at one of the practices. So, you know, he was trying to make sure. Uh, but he said the closest somebody else, and I took it as he was saying it to me. And I want to be able to take done that to the kid because they've been going through tough times for a while. You know, and whether it's only you've been diagnosed for a week or you've been diagnosed and you're born. And I want to, you know, make sure everybody's there, but I also want to make sure the confidence is there, you know, and that's why I kind of went back into the foundation, building it from ground ground up uh, again, you know, the, had the website one thing, changed it to another, making sure that everything on there I can provide and I can actually do. It's not just something that, you know, my parents and somebody else can do. And, yeah, I want it to be an avenue. I want to build the confidence up in these kids because I realize I'm able to sit here and talk to you. I'm able to have a night conversation. Some kids can't. And the parents say, oh, at home, they're great. They talk nonstop and in public. They just don't have it. And in order to be successful, as I said earlier, you can't be shy. You have to be proactive. And I want to somehow, whatever way I can possibly can, install that self-confidence, as well as doing everything, advocate for bullying, um, uh, raise money foundation, whatever it is, uh, raise awareness for other foundations. My main thing is that I'm kind of transitioning to that confidence because I'm talking to teachers in LA uh, in the LA school district, um, and they're all saying the same thing. We yeah, it's always bits and pieces, but that's the common denominator. Whether it's something big or something small, like Diego in UCLA, it was small, but it's there. And that's something he don't know how to deal with and that I'm in a position where I can't. So uh, that's kind of where the No Excuse Foundation, the No Excuse for not treating your dreams, the No Excuse for not going after what you really want. You know, and I say that because if you think back to when you were the kid, when you really, really wanted something, you really wanted that doll, you really wanted that PlayStation, you really wanted uh, 20 more minutes or whatever, you begged your parents, but you also did, hey, can I take out the trash? Do I need to do anything else? Do the homework? They do everything right. You make sure that they don't have any reason to say no. That's the mentality, but it told you when you really didn't want it. Like your mom keeps telling you to take out the uh, uh, take out the trash, and you keep finding an excuse and a reason to not do it or not do your homework or whatever. Cause you get like you have to have that mind state. It, hard work is not a switch you can take on and off. It's the constant, constant uh, effort, constant ongoing thing, and um. And it, it, it's something that you need to have in order to be successful. Every successful person you ever can see, uh, hear about, uh, from Netflix, uh, the Netflix owner, Facebook guy, Mark Zuckerberg, all those guys, you, they will all tell you they had to sacrifice. They had to work hard. It was, they couldn't make excuses. 
Oh God to the making excuses. So they're living that lifestyle. That's what you want. You got yeah. to go after it. Yeah, absolutely. So people that are listening and um, you know, as you're getting back out with No Excuse Foundation, uh, I'm super excited to kind of see some of the new things that you're launching with even apparel and everything else that you're working very hard on. What kinds of things would you need if somebody did want to either get involved with you or um, maybe what do you need to help push the needle forward? Um, as of right now, I need time. I'm fine. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think uh, everybody can always help by donating, and that's always uh, the best thing. You know, to go with noexcusefoundation.com. Um, and that's no excuse foundation without an S after after the excuse, and uh, they can go there, uh, click on donate uh, donation page, and I'll have it'll be a list of different things. Um, that okay, you donate twenty bucks. What would it help? How would it help? What would it go to? If you donate this, you can uh, request where the donation where you want it to go. Um, you know, it will help. Also, fund football camps or sports specific camps down in the future. Um, you know, one of the biggest things is falling self confidence and being able to decrease that barrier and eliminate that barrier between the hearing and non hearing. You know, being able to do uh, kickball, softball, football camp all together with, uh, you know, normal kids in uh, the hard of hearing deaf community. Um, whether it's maybe a group therapy where they kind of just share stories and we're like uh, networking local communities, um, whatever it is, uh, I, I want that to be an avenue. Um, and, you know, donation would go a great way. 50, uh, 501 uh, C3 nonprofit. Um, and uh, other ways of volunteering. Um, and, some of those ways, I'll, I'll, I'll post those on the website as time goes on. Um, but as of right now, it, it's just more of just getting, making sure these kids are right. And if you want to help, a lot of times we're doing Zoom conference uh, with the kids and the parents, whether it's me and my mom or whatnot. And if uh, you feel like you have an idea, you have uh, something you want to contribute, um, feel free to reach out. Um, and as time goes on, you know, I might throw a football camp or a camp and I want volunteers, parents, and normal people to show. Um, those, as time goes on, there will always be opportunities. And with those opportunities come a great networking experience because the people that I work with, the people that volunteering with me, I want to get to know them. I want to see what type of person. I want to, believe it or not, I want you to make me better and I want to make you better. Uh, whether it's introducing you to somebody great or whether it's uh, teaching you something, whatever it is, you know, I'm just here to help. You know, the foundation is here to help. Um, and if you want to be a part of that, you always feel free to reach out. Um, you know, million different avenues that have yeah. one of the biggest things that I like right now is uh, there's a company called ClearMass um, and there's probably a million different companies different names and and she uh, and it's what a mass with a clear 
in the middle. So as I mentioned, you guys, I read lips. So and to take away that, now you guys are putting, well, that's the coronavirus is putting me in a situation where it's harder for me to hear, it's harder for me to communicate if I go to a store. Um, I'm having to say what, uh, can you write it down, whatever it is. Um, I'm happy to say it, don't feel bad about it, but it it, it does get frustrated. So to be able to, you know, she actually tried to link up with me a while ago uh, when I was in Arizona, but me being so focused, I didn't do it. But I reached back out to her and I said, how can I help you? Because this is something that we need to push out with this everything that's going on your company will be great um and the idea that you have behind this if more people can do it make them um that will help me but that won't just help me that will help tons of family members and friends that have um heart attack or death um person that they're talking to communicating you got brothers and sisters that are going in public you know Take care of your little brother, but he can't hear you well because you have a mask on. Mm-hmm. You know, just that's what I'm trying to help. I'm trying to use this time and trying to navigate. Coronavirus go past and we deal with something else. We'll deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will definitely add that company into your show notes since you gave them a shout out. Okay. Um, man, okay, you are just so down to earth. I love just learning a lot more about your story and why you do the things you do. Um, you know, the one last thing I'm going to ask you, and I and you've dropped so many tips and and wisdom, you know, morsels of wisdom. But what's the one piece of advice that you can share with our listeners, just on making the world a better place? Like, where can they start? They can start with themselves and being comfortable in their own skin, being the best version of themselves, as I said earlier. It because the being the best version of yourself means that you're helping others. You're you're you're, you're being a positive uh, influence to society. Uh, you're inspiring others. You're bringing people up with you, and um, that's how you start. You know, if you don't know how to do good in this world, just saying that. But even if it's walking on the street and somebody else is walking their dog, just saying hi, uh, that can change somebody's day. You don't know. They could have got an argument, um, don't feel like anybody likes them in the neighborhood or whatever. You just smiling, saying hi, regardless of how your day went, could change their world. Just one word. So that would be the best version you can. But also be comfortable with your stuff. Don't worry about comparing your stuff to other people. Oh, okay, that person doing this. I might need to do that. I don't, I don't want to do it because I can't do it to that level. No, do what you can do. Uh, you know, there's a phrase that everybody say, give 110%. Yes, I believe in that phrase. But I also believe in the phrase, give what you got. If you only got 70% to give at that day or that given time, give it. Give it everything you got. If you got 90%, give 90%. So um, that, to me, would be the best way to somebody would start good, want to do good, be the best version, start with yourself. And um, 
and live life, love people, um, smile. Um, you understand how contagious a smile can go. Um, and forcing somebody else to smile can change. It's a chemical reaction that just goes on in your body. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I uh, appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to Connecting a Better World and thank you NOCO FM for supporting this show. If you haven't heard, NOCO FM is dedicated to bring diverse voices and spotlighting a unique culture to Fort Collins and beyond. For more information, please visit www.noco.fm. If you connected to something in this episode, we would love to hear from you. Our contact info will be listed in the show notes, as well as you can reach us on our social media channels. Please feel free to share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. For more shows, please tune in to noco.fm online. This has been a production of NOCO FM.